0: About a, I want to say about a week ago, a little over a week ago, I started hearing rumors uh, from a couple of inside the industry people that it looked like uh, Mads Mikkelsen was joining Indy. but it was everything was sworn to secrecy. Two days ago, I talked to a friend of mine who's uh, how do how do I say she's a, a journalist for an outlet over in Europe. All right. I won't say which country in Europe, but she's a she's a journalist for an outlet in Europe. And she was telling me definitively uh, they had signed on Mads Mikkelsen to play the villain in Indiana Jones 5, but they're not going to announce it until next week. And she, you know, she's a sworn secrecy. So you can't let that out, blah, blah. So I, you know, she goes, I got something to tell you. You got to promise not to say anything about it. I'm like, okay, won't say anything about it. And uh, she had told me that, and I had heard whispers about that before. Well, I guess... Deadline got their hands on it, too, and they aren't under any embargo. So Deadline reported it is now out there that Mads Mikkelsen is joining Harrison Ford and Phoebe Waller-Bridge in Indiana Jones 5. Now, this is what they say over at Deadline. They write the following. Following the news that Phoebe Waller-Bridge had landed the female lead in the next Indiana Jones movie. Lucasfilm had found Harrison Ford's next co-star as Mads Mickelson is set to join the next installment. James Mangold, of course, the director of Logan and many other great things, including Ford v. Ferrari, which was awesome, is taking over the directing reins from Steven Spielberg, who is still serving as a producer and is very much involved in various elements of the film. Kathleen Kennedy Frank Marshall Simon Emanuel will join Spielberg as producers John Williams who has worked on every score in the 40 year old franchise including its iconic theme will also return as composer which is great news to me the hope is to start production this summer with Mangold and I'll believe that when I see it with Mangold meeting with other talent for other roles in preparation for production plot details are still vague on what new adventures away Jones as are the details behind whose Mickelson will play the film is set to bow on July 29th 2020 okay so they may be saying right now that they're not sure on who's on who Mickelson is playing I can tell you it is going to be the villain it, he's going to be the villain of the film uh, and, and by the way uh, Toodle D Dundee sends in a $50 super chat badge in the live chat thank you so much for that man I appreciate the support dude thank you um, he's going to be playing the villain this is um amazing news. If you're somebody who is looking forward to Indiana Jones five. And by the way, I still think it's a 50, 50 chance that this movie actually happens. I, I mean, I look, I know I'm a doubting Thomas and everything like that, but I, I'll believe it when I see it, let's just say that, but it's obvious they are intending to do this movie. The wheels are in motion. They added, you know, Waller bridge a while ago, which was a nice addition adding Mads Mickelson is amazing everybody loves Mads Mikkelsen him being and hopefully you know as the villain he'll really be able to crush that sort of thing which I think would be absolutely phenomenal uh which is great so I don't know maybe this thing is happening but listen one of the things that Indiana Jones I mean look all action films need a great antagonist right all action films need to have the best action films have great antagonists. You know, whether you're talking about Die Hard or whatever, some some movies are able to get away with it without a great antagonist. But when you have like an adventure film with a great antagonist, it just really adds to it. And with Indiana Jones, he's had kind of the best of the best, right? He's had the Nazis. I mean, there you go. So he's had the Nazis amongst other things. But to add somebody like Mads Mikkelsen uh to a project like this, I think that's going to garner a lot of hype. Now, look, I still have questions about how is a Harrison Ford who is now... You guys help me out in the live chat. I I think he's seven or eight years older now than Sean Connery was when they did Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, You guys, in in the live chat, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it's seven or eight years older than Sean Connery was when they did... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, John de Benedict in the live chat is saying he's seven eight. Somebody saying yes, eight years older. Uh, Harrison Ford turned seventy nine this year. Can he play Indy? I mean, I know. Listen, a lot of us had doubts when Expendables was coming out that Sylvester Stallone could still pull that stuff off, and he did. Yeah, that was a while ago, and you know Harrison Ford isn't Sylvester Stallone. But it all depends on how they use the character. Like, will he be getting involved in a bunch of fist fights with giant six foot five, three hundred pound Nazis? Probably not. But they'll just need to use him in a different way, and it could be really enjoyable. It could be a lot of fun. Because I still love Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is still great. But again, <laughs> the Brad Marks uh, is writing in the live chat. Harrison Ford is going to be on that. That he's going to be on that horse steroids. He's going to be on the juice. You see. Harrison Ford come in and looking like Vince McMahon at 80, like with the big flex going on, maybe, but whatever. And by the way, David Rowland sends in a uh, Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, David. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, again, am I interested in an Indiana Jones 5? Well, of course I'm interested. It's Indiana Jones. Disappointed that Steven Spielberg's not directing? Yes. But if you can't have Steven Spielberg, James Mangold, I'll take that. That's great. I mean, I'd rather Steven Spielberg, but James Mangold, sure. Adding Waller-Bridge, adding Mads Mikkelsen to it as the villain, nonetheless. that's, That's some pretty good stuff. Do I believe this movie's happening? I think it's a coin toss as to whether they start the cameras rolling. Do I have a little bit of apprehension? Absolutely, I have a little bit of apprehension. But overall, I think this thing is coming together pretty nicely for any kind of a film that you want to do like this. So I, for one think this is a really good piece of news coming out for Indiana Jones if you are somebody looking forward to Indiana Jones 5. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this news? Do you like the addition of Mads Mickelson? Maybe you were hoping for somebody else. Maybe you're not a big Mads Mickelson fan. I think most of us are. Maybe you're just not interested in Indiana Jones 5. Maybe it's your most anticipated movie coming out. What do you guys think about this news? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, we're going to spend the rest of the day here just taking live comments and questions, talking about all the different things going on that you guys want to talk about. How do you send in a live comment or question? We're going to get through all the live comments and questions today, by the way, because we've been working pretty hard getting all caught up with our companion videos and everything. Uh, So how do you send it in? It's easy. Just look in the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Just use that You can click on it there. Or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tips. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's, you know, appropriate for the show. And, of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here on The John Campus Show, thank you guys very much for your support. And, by the way, John D'Amato sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, John. appreciate that, man. All right. Let's not waste any time and get over to it. We're going to start things off here with... Uh, not Raymond. We did Raymond with Daki. Daki's where we're starting off with. And Daki writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to thank, uh, to thank you to you and Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, I am here sitting in the hospital after being diagnosed with AFib. Oh, that's scary. At 26, just waiting to be released. I'm doing great and have a new lease on life. Uh, and, uh, you two played a part in that. Thanks. Well, thanks so much. You know, what's amazing to me is how often we get messages from people saying that, you know, their family's going through a hard time, they were in the hospital, they were laid off from their job for a while, and just in that transition process, saying that, you know, one of the things that kept them sane was talking to the rest of you guys in the live chat in the movie fan community and watching the show, and that is always awesome. It's one of the greatest things about movies and the movie fan community is that we can be that kind of sustaining uh, movies can be that sort of sustaining thing. The movie fan community can be that sort of a thing for a lot of people. And it's always nice to hear. So thanks for sharing that deck. I really appreciate that, man. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got Garrett couch who writes Uh, Boy, what kind of powerful drugs do you have to be on to believe that a perfectly shaped dragon shaped mark on your arm is a birthmark? (laughs) Better writing idea. Claim ignorance. I don't know how it got there. Still looks like a great movie. Can't wait. Listen, we have all seen movies like that, right? We have all seen plot devices like that. It's like the birthmark on your back. Seems to be a perfect replication, re, uh, replica, replication of the star charts of the Andromeda galaxy. Wow! What are the chances? Yeah, never suspected a thing. And by the way, Epic Dub Time sends in a super chat badge. Thank Epic Dub. Yeah, you really no, never would have guessed that at all. And you're right. Like when he pulls open the thing in the trail, it's like, I just thought it was a birthmark. Really? You thought that perfectly symmetrical circle with the dragon and everything was a birthmark? Okay, I like your idea, Garrett. Just say it's just feign ignorance. Just say we have no idea in the world how it got there. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, Lone Wolf X6 writes Hello, John. Been a while. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you, Lone Wolf. So I am loving Falcon and the Winter Soldier so far. And I know they haven't showed the Power Broker, but I'm thinking he could be the GSP character that we haven't seen since the first episode. Thoughts? All right. So, yeah, tonight. Of course, well, for me tonight, for some of you guys, it'll be tomorrow morning. But for me tonight, uh at midnight, is the next episode of Falcon of the Winter Soldier, which I am very, very excited about, especially after the killer episode uh that they had last time. Okay, after the killer episode. And let me bring this up here. So one of the things that is the question tonight is, do we get the reveal of who the power broker is tonight? And if we're going to get the reveal of who the power broker is tonight. Who is that power broker going to be now? Unlike, you know, when we were talking about WandaVision and uh dragon 10s in the super chat batch. Thank you, dragon 10. Unlike when we were watching WandaVision where there were a lot of good theories you know, revolving around a lot of the different things. And like, I mean, obviously, a lot of th- some theories came true, some theories didn't come true, but I just found a lot of the theories, even the ones that didn't turn out to be true, were like some really good, well-thought-out theories, you know, which is great to see. The whole theory well of Falcon and the Soldier is, you know, who is this power broker? Who's going to be the power broker? And I got to say, I haven't heard one good theory about Power Broker yet. I haven't had a I haven't heard a single good theory yet. Every theory I've heard or have thought up myself have massive logic problems, like massive, massive, massive logic problems. So could we find out who because there's only two episodes left, which is crazy. Because when we were at this point, you know, four episodes in to WandaVision, we still had five episodes to go we only have two episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier left so there's a very real possibility we could find out who the power broker is tonight and by the way soul brother Mark Mac sends in a $20 super chat badge thank you so much for that soul brother Mac I appreciate that dude um and thank you to all you guys for being so supportive so it does raise the question who is the power broker then let's let's take a look at this a little bit all right when we're asking the question about who is the power broker Again, I think all of the theories are bad. I think they're all bad theories. They're, every single theory I've heard or that I have come up with myself have massive, massive logic problems. But there are a couple that stand out as the least bad, right? As the least bad. Let's talk about one of them. This is no particular order. Batrock or also known as my all-time favorite mixed martial art- mixed martial artist, George St. Pierre, GSP. He, of course, was in uh, Winter Soldier, or was that Civil War? It was Winter Soldier. He was, of course, in Winter Soldier as uh, Batroc the Leaper, and then, of course, he was back again in the first episode of Falcon the Winter Soldier. Some people have the theory that it could be him. And listen, the reason this isn't one of the dumbest theories is because, well... We know he is a an underground leader. We know he's very physically imposing and intimidating. I mean, he beat up Falcon, he almost beat Cap, I mean the real Cap, not Walmart Cap. He almost beat the real Cap in a straight straight up hand-to-hand fight and he doesn't even have the super soldier serum. Uh and he's been around. So and we've already seen him in here, so possible. However, I still think it's not a good theory because They've never portrayed him as being on that kind of level. He's not super secretive. You know, Shield knows all about him. He's been in custody. They know he is. He operates on a global scale. He's not regionalized to something like Madripoor. Not to mention, while I love GSP, I love George St. Pierre, he's not the best actor in the world. (laughs) So I don't know that you want him playing some big, major, significant role. But... Out of all the bad ideas, I think Batrock being the power broker is one of the least bad ideas. Still a bad idea, still a bad theory, but one of the least bad ones. All right, the other one, uh, Thunderbolt Ross. That's another theory a lot of people have come up with, is that's going to be Thunderbolt Ross. And somebody just corrected me, I misspelled Batrock. It's the C. Uh, Thunderbolt Ross is. The power broker. Okay, let's talk about why that's not completely a dumb idea. He is a major player in the MCU. Any reveal of Thunderbolt Ross as being the power broker would be a stunning reveal like that. Because, you know, if they reveal power broker to be nobody we've ever met before, that's not a big moment. You know, it might make the most sense, but it doesn't create a big moment. You got to admit, that if they pull back the curtain and they reveal that Thunderbolt Ross is the uh, power broker, that's a big moment. That's a whoa kind of moment, right? He steps out of the shadow with the big mustache. You know, hello, Sam. You know, that sort of thing. I mean, it would create a big moment. He's a major character in the MCU. It would be an interesting twist. The reason I still think it's a dumb theory is because when would he have had the time to have been the power broker in Madripoor? He is a high-profile government official. From being a general in the military to being the secretary of state and the ambassador to the U.N., I mean, all that kind of stuff. When was he going to do that? Not to mention, he has always been portrayed as a dick, yeah, but a good guy nonetheless. A dick, maybe he's got the wrong ideas, but he's a good guy. You know, he wants to save the world. He may have the wrong ideas sometimes about how to do that. So I think making Thunderbolt Ross um uh, power broker would make no sense logistically. How could he have ever been in Madripoor to be you know, the leader of a big underground there? And not to mention he's always been portrayed as a good guy, a dick, but a good guy nonetheless. So, but again, all those other things makes me feel like it's still a dumb theory, but not the dumbest theory. So there's Thunderbolt Ross. The other one, Sharon Carter. So Sharon Carter has been one that's come up a lot about, um, you know, who should be, who who could be the power broker. That's come up a whole bunch is Sharon Carter. And there's obvious reasons why, right? We come into this, at how, first of all, she's in Madripoor. She's bitter. She's angry at the U.S. She's got... She's suddenly, just like that, she's got this massive underground art ring thing where she has parties with the biggest people in the underground and she has access to like top-secret satellites that can track individuals around the world when she's not working with S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore, that we know of. And like Thunderbolt Ross, the reveal of her as the power broker would be an incredible moment. It would be like a what kind of moment it would do that. So same thing as Thunderbolt Ross. Now, again, it's still a bad theory because, you know, Sharon apparently was gone. Like a lot of people were gone. How does she suddenly pull all this thing together? There's never been any sort of hint about her having, you know, having questionable ethics or morals. She's always been doing what is right. Even when she had to kind of break the rules with the government to support Captain America, she's always doing what is right and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, I could see why some people would feel Sharon Carter. And it's one of the least dumb ideas. It's one of the least dumb ideas of the power broker, but it's still a dumb idea. The fourth, this is one that's been gaining a lot of traction. This is one that's been gaining a lot of traction. Old man, Steve Rogers. And I don't know why this is gaining a lot of traction, but I'm seeing more and more people over the last couple of days getting behind the idea that old man, Steve is the power broker. Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. Why is it not the dumbest idea? Well, like Thunderbolt Ross and Sharon Carter, it would be a massive, what? Like, what the hell kind of moment in the MCU, right? It would would freak everybody out. What? It would do that. So, okay, I get that. Steve has been around. He's been around here, lurking in the shadows. You know, so maybe he's up to some tricky stuff. Maybe he got sick of seeing the, wor- the way the world ran and the way-, the way the world did things and all that kind of stuff. Maybe, I suppose. But at the end of the day, to me, it is still a very dumb idea. This is still Steve Rogers. This is the true Captain America. This is the most nobility of spirit man that's maybe ever walked the face of the earth that he would become an underground crime lord while it would be stunning and shocking and a massive twist, to me it makes very, very little sense. The dumbest idea in the world? Not the dumbest, but still a bad idea. Go with option five. When I say no one, and I think this is the most likely, I think it is most likely that this will end up being um, somebody we've never met. Like we we just haven't met the power broker, and then when we meet them, this will be a new character who will you know have a role to play in the MCU moving forward, and I could sort of see that playing out. Honestly, if I had a bet, if I had to bet a dollar on who will the power broker end up being, I think it'll probably be that somebody we have not met yet. You know, I get it. Uh, the whole stuff about Batrock, there's some things that make that feasible. The Thunderbolt Ross, there are some things that make that feasible. Sharon Carter, there are some things that make that feasible. Old Man Steve, it's a big stretch, but there are some things that make that relatively feasible. But still, with all those things one through four, there are just too many things stacked against it for me to take any of those theories super seriously. I think it's going to end up coming down to being um, somebody we haven't met yet. I think that's what's going to be. And I'm guessing we will meet that person tonight. You know, Kimberly Curran on our companion video, she was saying maybe it'll be the reveal of Power Broker will be an after episode six post-credit scene. And she may be right about that. That's a pretty good theory. But I think there's a pretty good chance we may, we may meet the Power Broker tonight, and that's going to be nobody we've met. I'm just curious. Do you guys have any other kind of? Uh, do you guys have any other kind of theories about who you think it could be? Some people think it's abomination. Obviously, I don't think it's abomination. He's been on the rap, raft, um, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you guys think. Do you have any sort of th- theories on this? Um, some saying are um, uh, Arnim Zola. I've heard that thrown around a lot. I, I don't think that one makes a lot of sense, but it's something we're going to keep our eyes on. Uh, some people think it's a psychologist. I just don't, how could she be in the U.S. all the time and all, while being an underground crime lord in Madripoor? That one doesn't make sense. Crossbones is one I've heard a lot. Uh, some of you guys are writing Crossbones, but, you know, Crossbones is very much dead. But then again, this is the MC fake, dead, fake death universe. Some people are saying Red Skull. You know what? I don't mind the Red Skull as a theory. I mean, after the Soul Stone got taken, what's there uh, left for him to do? Some people are saying uh, Hawkeye. Somebody's saying, uh, you know, Hawkeye slash Ronan. Some people are saying uh, Kingpin. I really don't think it's going to be Kingpin. Not at all. I, I don't think that's a possibility in the least, because even if a, even if they had Kingpin in the universe already, which they don't, um, he would be in Hell's Kitchen. He's not going to be in Madripoor. So I'm I'm going to guess that's not really possible. But you never know. Um, some people are saying Isaiah Bradley, the Black Super Soldier. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody knew where to find... They knew where to find him, and he was exactly where they thought he was going to be in Philadelphia, so I don't think so. So, I don't know. Again, I just don't think... It's going to end up being one of the theories. I just haven't heard any of the theories that really convinced me yet, other than maybe it's nobody. So, we will find... And, of course, Michael V had to throw it out there in the live chat. Mephisto. Mephisto is... The Power Broker. We'll find out. Anyway, guys, we're going to find out tonight. Don't forget, later tonight, uh, 4 p.m. Los Angeles time, 7 p.m. New York time, we are going to be doing a uh, Falcon Winter Soldier pregame show tonight. So if you guys are watching the uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, come on by and join us for that discussion. All right, let's keep things going here, shall we? And thanks for writing that in, Lone Wolf. All right, next up, we got Alan who writes... Ho, John and Rob. Obviously, Rob's not here on Thursdays. Uh, Just saw the second Fast 9 trailer. It was great. Uh, It looks like they are finally doing it. They are going to space. Are you surprised? And what did you think of the trailer? Well, we talked about the trailer yesterday. And um, we talked about the trailer yesterday. I thought the trailer was terrific fun. I mean, if it was a trailer for anything else other than Fast and the Furious, I would say it's an absolutely idiotic, ridiculous trailer. But as a Fast and the Furious trailer... Mwah. It was perfect. It was perfect for Fast and Furious trailer. And by the way, I don't think they're actually going to space. Uh, I think they're going into high atmosphere, you know, edge of atmosphere. But I don't think they're actually going to, like, be going into outer space. I don't know that. Maybe they are, but I don't think they are. But, yeah, overall, I thought the trailer was pretty good. All right. Uh, Red, uh, Red Jewel writes, no question. Just saying thank you. I look forward to listening or watching your show. I also agree that the Melissa uh, uh, with the Melissa McCarthy movies. I avoided watching Thunder Force for that very reason. Keep up the good work. Yeah, again, I am a fan of Melissa McCarthy. When she's in the right kind of movie, she's a terrific performer. Like remember that one she did with Jason Statham? What was a spy? He was either called Spy or I Spy or one of those two things. If you guys remember the exact name of the, the movie in the live chat, let us know. That was a surprisingly good, fun film. Obviously, you know, Bridesmaids, she's an Academy Award-nominated actress. I think she's really funny, but she keeps doing these movies. Oh, and S is just saying it's called Spy. Thank you, Maxie and Jimmel and Jacob. Yeah, just called Spy. Spy was really good. But whenever she's in these movies that is directed by her husband, Ben Falcone, who, again, I hear nothing but wonderful things, but I hear he's a wonderful human being. But there's a reason nobody else gives him directing jobs. The only movies he's allowed to direct are the ones that Melissa McCarthy stars in. And all of them have been terrible, like awful. And Thunder Force is honestly one of the worst films I've seen in like five years. Like truly horrible maybe a top 15 movie I've ever seen in my life. I I really think it's that bad and I lo- I really like Melissa McCarthy. I love Octavia Spencer uh, uh Bobby Carnival uh, uh Jason Bateman. I like all these people, but man that was brutal she they listen. Ben, if you're watching, stop trying to direct your wife's movies. You're going to sink her career because the more and more of these horrible movies you do, it's just gonna batter and hurt her value as a performer in Hollywood more. Every time you put out a crappy movie like that, it's hurting her overall value as a performer. And coming off of like an Academy Award nomination a couple of years ago, you're not doing yourself and you're not doing her any favors. Uh, I hear I hear you're a really nice guy, but dude, stop, stop. This is you. Your your calling is not as a director. Uh, I mean, you're better than me. <laughs> but that's that's not saying anything um so yeah dude do yourself and please do your wife a favor and just stop move on uh, get involved and find what your better calling is anyway because that movie was awful and all of them that he's done has been awful anyway let's move on here thanks for that red jewel k major writes john what we need next is a uh, fast crew versus red bring on willis malkovich and mirin retired extremely dangerous i loved red Red to me was great, but in the, you know, in the archives of Hollywood history of terrible sequels to good movies, Red 2 was pretty piss poor. Pretty piss poor. But, you know, don't forget Carl Urban in there too. Um, Red was wonderful. If you guys have never seen Red, retired, extremely dangerous, um, you got to watch it. Take, Take Cameron or take K Major's advice and go check it out because it is a lot of fun. I would check out. I'd be there. If you want to do a Fast and Furious versus Red, I'd watch that movie. I mean, it'll never happen, but I'd watch it. All right, Carmen Villa writes. Um, John, I know you are the best buds with the president of Universal Pictures. Of course, I am. They take every piece of advice I ever give. The next time you guys are on a golf course, I would like to make a proposal: Back to the Future, Fast and Furious crossover. I know I don't think that'll work but I would get a kick if in one of these fast and furious movies if like you just hear that somebody worked a job and he shows up in the DeLorean car from Back to the Future and they're like you stole the DeLorean and then they soup it soup it all up and they use it in their big heist I don't think we need Christopher Lloyd popping up as a doc to say what are you doing dom I don't think we need that by the way Christopher Lloyd is in that new Bob Odenkirk Kirk movie uh nobody, watch nobody. It's great. Anyway, uh Wiley Todd writes, Um <laughs> I live my life 88 miles per hour at a time. K major writes, uh no, Wiley writes, Hey John, no, uh yes, hey John. I recently rewatched Dodgeball. If you can dodge traffic, you can dodge a ball. I love dodgeball. I recently rewatched Dodgeball with Vince Vaughn. I went in thinking it was going to be completely dated and unwatchable. I was completely wrong. Do you think a sequel to this movie can happen? No. Uh, What do you think of the movie? I love the movie. I love Dodgeball. Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, Justin Long, Alan Tudyk. It's wonderful. I love this. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. I freaking love that movie. It, it honestly might be, you know, I haven't sat down and revised or revisited my like top 10 favorite comedies of all time list in a long time. So I don't know for sure, but I'm telling you, there's a possibility Dodgeball could be in my top 10 favorite comedies of all time. Again, I'd have to sit down and write it up. Maybe it falls just outside of it, but I love Dodgeball that much. It's incredible. It's really incredible. Uh, you work for me. I don't work for you. I work for the bank well, I'm a client of the bank. You work for the bank. Ipso facto, you work for me. I just, Ben Stiller's so funny in that movie and so is Vince Vaughn. All right, anyway, next up, K Major writes, "Um, do you think we'll hear a variation on the classic Mortal Kombat theme? We already have, actually. Uh, Were you a fan of that song, I Won't Lose Sleep If It's Not Just Curious? Well, actually, didn't they already release, like, that main track from the soundtrack of the new Mortal Kombat, I think they've already released that online. And yes, it is uh a remake, a remix of the original, if I'm not mistaken. It's all right. It's all right, it's not as good as the original, but it's okay. But listen, that original Mortal Kombat soundtrack is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. Um, Duhast the main Mortal Kombat theme, Juke Joint Jezebel. Um, that soundtrack is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks ever. You know? Juke Joint Jezebel. I Actually, I, I stumbled across Juke Joint Jezebel again the other day and I even put it up on my Twitter. Be my it's just a great great song if you haven't heard Juke Joint Jezebel go look it up uh, on YouTube it's really fun but that's my favorite uh, one of my all time favorite soundtracks alright kiss kiss Gang Bang. I'll never live that one down alright uh, hey John just letting you know I'm heading to my local government office for a 3-hour filibuster. The topic you ask, Marvel buying DC and how they could make uh they could make Steve Trevor into the new Captain America. Steve Trevor would make a good Captain America. Thank you for the idea, John. Of course, that's a play on one of the great moments ever on Parks and Rec where um what's what's the name of the comedian guys who does the voice of Ratatouille? Um I why am I freezing on his name? I'm looking at his face in my head right now. Uh, Come on, guys. Who does the voice of Ratatouille? It is Patton Oswalt. Thank you, Marcus. Patton Oswalt. So on, uh, there's this great, great, iconic, legendary episode of Parks and Rec where Patton Oswalt shows up to city council to uh, do a filibuster. And thank you to Larry and Jamie and Lisa and Yamad and Ron and thing, all all for throwing in there, Patton Oswalt. So there's a episode where he wants to do a filibuster of City Council. And to do the filibuster, he comes in and recites his full theory and pitch for a Marvel-Star Wars crossover. It is one of the most iconic things ever on television. If you've never seen it, just go over to YouTube, search for you know Parks and Rec, Patton Oswalt filibuster. You'll find it. It's one of the best things ever. And apparently, that whole thing, he just winged it. Like, apparently Patton Oswald just winged the whole thing. He just made the whole thing up as he was going along, and it goes for, like, seven or eight minutes or something like that. It's incredible. All right, anyway, next up. Uh, Jeremy Haynes writes, Power Broker is always watching. That was one of the pieces of graffiti on the wall. Seems a purposefully placed clue. Fury is always watching from orbit. Sharon still works for Fury. Has access to satellite tech Uh, motive. Uses power broker position to get intel and manage the criminal underworld or it's Ralph Bonner. Um, I've heard some people say that it's Nick Fury. That makes no sense to me. Really? Because, you know, they say that a power broker, everybody fears him. Judge, jury, executioner has a lot of people killed. I don't see Nick Fury doing that. So... Not to mention, I don't think he would completely localize his attention on Madripoor. So I I get it. I understand why some people might buy into it, but I really I really don't think it's going to be Nick Fury. But hey, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, if we find out tonight, if Nick Fury pops up and says, I'm the power broker, then, okay, I'm going to remember you wrote that in, Jeremy. I will remember you wrote that in. All right, next up. Uh, Jeremy also writes, Ed Brubaker, writer, created Winter Soldier, was interviewed by Kevin Smith, has mixed interest in Falcon and Winter Soldier because elements of his work was used in Captain America Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War, but received no credit. What credit should comic writers get if portions are used in the MCU? I'm going to say something that is an unpopular thing to say. It's an unpopular thing to say. but none, none. Look, when you are employed by a company to write and create things, that company owns those things. That's one of the reasons why I decided a few years ago, I'm never going to work for other people again. I'm only ever going to work for myself because I personally just got tired of the fact that whether it was with AMC, and don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed my time at AMC. I really enjoyed my time with Collider and Complex Media. I did. But uh, you know, at some point you realize I've spent years with blood, sweat, and tears and busting my ass and spending countless amount of hours away from home and away from my wife to work on this stuff and try to build this stuff and it's a thankless job by the way Um, building this stuff and none of this stuff belongs to me it all belongs to the people who I'm working for and that's the way it should be they're paying for it and they're paying me so everything that I'm doing belongs to them and I understood that but that's part of the reason why I decided I'm never going to work for other people again so if like if you're employed as a carpenter, I use this example a lot, and you build a great chair, do you deserve credit when that chair appears on screen? Like if you got paid, I'll pay you $3,000 to build this chair. You build the chair. Great. You got your compensation. You got paid. I, I mean, look, but maybe I'm oversimplifying it. Maybe I am. I... I haven't really given it a ton of thought, but I mean, that's again, I, I empathize because I was in a situation like that and I decided I needed to get out of it because when you work for somebody else and somebody else is paying the bills and they're paying your salary, whatever you create belongs to them and it's theirs. So what are you owed? You're owed a paycheck. And after that, you're really not owed much else. And I know that's not a popular thing to say, but it, it, it kind of is what it is. So, I don't know. I Again, so I empathize, but I really don't know that he was like screwed. He wasn't screwed over. He wasn't wronged. So, I mean, I don't know. But then again, I could be convinced otherwise. I I mean, maybe maybe that theory, maybe that way of thinking isn't the right way of thinking. And I could have my mind changed. But that's just kind of what I think right now since you're asking right now. Um, all right. Next up, we go to an anonymous viewer who writes, I started drinking Zevia, but wondering where you buy it. I found it on Amazon. I originally started buying it in my local grocery store, uh, which is Ralph's. Ralph's is the grocery store chain that's right close to me here. Um, but then I just started ordering it on Amazon because it was easier. Because I order it like two cases at a time, right? So I don't just – I like instead of going to the store and buying a six-pack, I just order a couple of cases. And by the way, it's cheaper when I order it by the case. And they just deliver two cases of it to my house like every month. Just an easier way for me to do it, Anonymous. So I'm with you. I usually just get on Amazon. Um, Okay. Uh, Some dude writes, I live in, I'm not sure what MA is. I'm not American. Is that Massachusetts? I'm going to go with Massachusetts. By the way, I've, I've never said Massachusetts right. Am I saying Massachusetts right? It's a stupid sounding word, man. It really is. Then again, so is Saskatchewan in Canada. Massachusetts. Saskatchewan. Okay, whatever. I live in uh, M.A. I'm going to assume that's Massachusetts. Maybe it's something else. Uh, If I don't watch new Disney Plus episodes as soon as it drops, I'll probably get spoiled the next day. This whole let's drop the new episode at 3 a.m. for everyone on the East Coast bullshit needs to stop. I either get five hours of sleep or it gets spoiled. Okay, you know what, dude? Listen, I am with you on that. I have talked about this and I completely agree with you. Look. Look. I, when you drop new episodes of Mandalorian, or uh, or uh, 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 WandaVision, or Falcon and Winter Soldier, or whatever else, you got to understand the position a lot of your fandom is in. Now, midnight is not the most unreasonable thing for those of us who live in the Los Angeles area. Midnight's not terrible. I I can do midnight. Although I'd rather be in bed because i got to get up at like 5.30. But still, midnight's not terrible. But for a lot of people in North America, that's like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. Now, you might think, okay, so what? Just watch it when you get around to it. But the thing is, with these types of shows that are filled with a lot of week-to-week big spoilers and reveals and twists, somebody like some dude in Massachusetts... It's like, if I don't watch it immediately, I'm going to have it spoiled for me eight times over by the time I wait to watch it at 6 p.m. later that night after work. Just release the damn thing at a reasonable hour. Just release it at like 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Release it at 7 p.m. That still won't fix everything. But I think it would be a lot better for a lot of people. So um, anyway, now I understand. I understand a lot of my international friends are saying, well, John, what about the internet? Look, all due respect, but I live here. Uh, Disney is here. The majority of their audience is here. I understand that would mean an equal to really awkward launch times for people in other countries. I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. But like all the rest of you, I'm a self-centered son of a bitch. I live here. And, I, and the majority of the people who watch it are here. So I don't know. I, I just really think they should make that change. I really, really do. Uh, is that a little North American bias? Yep. I admit it. It's a little bit of North American bias, but it is what it is. Uh, so I agree with you some dude. I 100% agree with you. They should change that time to a more reasonable hour, like 7 p.m., 6 p.m., whatever and make that work. And by the way, Greg Scott Bailey sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks a lot for that, man. I appreciate that. Um, and so, Hey, listen, and I'm Italian dude. I, I have, I have all the deepest of sympathies for, you know, for my Italian brothers and sisters, me familia in, in Italia. I do. I have all the, the, for my European brothers and sisters, I do, but I live here. So I want them to make that change. Um, anyway, And uh, yeah, so there's that. Okay, let's move on here. Okay, so that was some dude. Next up, we've got Jason G who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Jason G. Uh, I've been a fan since 2013 when I was in high school. Uh, we may find out in episode 5-6 that I'm completely wrong, but maybe Power Broker is the real Mandarin. Madripoor is in Asia, and it could, ta- uh, could tie Shang-Chi into the greater MCU. Okay, so that is not the craziest theory in the world, but we did talk about this before, about Mandarin. The reason I don't think that's the case is Mandarin is the Mandarin, right? Because in that Marvel short, where they break um, Ben Kingsley from Iron Man 3. When they break Ben Kingsley out of prison and he's brought to the Mandarin, he is known in the underworld as the Mandarin. So I don't think he's known as the Mandarin and he's known as the power broker. I So I, I just don't think that equates. But again, you're right. We got Shang-Chi coming out. Maybe it's an introduction to the character. Not the craziest theory, but I don't think that's the way they're going to go with it. But we'll see. We'll find out. You may be right, Jason. Uh, next up, uh, Ethan writes, you always say with box office, the number is the number because you don't want to take in the other variables. Shouldn't the Oscars be the Oscars by that logic? Uh, no, need, no need to say asterisks here. Oh, dude, that is such a fallacy comparison. That is not remotely comparable. Anyway, uh, if we only judge by who actually wins the yearly awards. Okay, here's what Ethan is referring to. Is that quite often when the conversation comes up, up shouldn't box office, when talking about all-time box office results, shouldn't it take inflation into consideration? I always say no. Because while inflation is a variable, there are many other variables. The amount of competition movies take. More movies come out today, well, not you know, notwithstanding the pandemic era and everything, but in two thousand nineteen, more movies come out. Far more wide release movies come out now than did back in the day. In some eras, some eras of movie going, there wasn't televisions in everybody's homes. Can you just equally compare movies that were the only real on screen entertainment to, the, to before televisions to after television? The video game industry. Billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of dollars of people's disposable income is being spent on a video game industry that wasn't around in other certain areas. That's a a massive variable. That is a massive area. Anyway, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of variables. You can't just say, let's apply one variable and ignore all the other ones. You can't just do it. So the only real way to do it is just say the number is the number. But year after year, there are little changes and little shifts as the decades progress that make one era a little bit different from another era. But year by year by year, it's small little changes in the variables, whether it's inflation, new entertainment avenues, television, video game industry, whatever else, the streaming the streaming um, uh, business, whatever. It's just little bit by little bit every year, blah, 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 2020 pandemic shuts down the entire entertainment industry, all movie theaters close their doors, blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, you can't compare that to the gradual, slow, decade-by-decade shifts of variables and things like that, to a year that dropped like a nuke out of the sky and blew up the entertainment industry, halting all production, shutting all movie theaters down, blah, blah, it's not comparable, like, maybe you can come up with some other kind of comparison, but to me, it is not comparable. Say, oh, that this is just like that. No, it's not. They're completely different scenarios, completely different situations. So, yeah, to me, and you don't have to agree with me, that's cool. I'm a big Oscar fan, but no, I don't think there should be an Oscars this year. I think it, it should be an asterisk year. I think they should have just canceled the Oscars. And then rolled what films were eligible this year into next year. And because I would rather have an over-representation of qualified contenders for the Oscars than an under-representation for qualified contenders for Oscars. Because there's just going to be a lot of movies that get nominated for Best Picture where you're going to – a lot of people are always going to say, if the pandemic hadn't happened – would those four films actually gotten nominated for best picture? I mean, so it's too much of an asterisk year for me. You may disagree and I respect that, but don't compare it to the box office and inflation. It's a completely different scenario. All right, next up, um, Amber and Lexi's dad writes. I like that. Um, one of two. Hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much. Um, Hey, John, love your show and a longtime fan. Great work. Thank you so much, man. I don't know who the producers are of The Best of the Best or the studio behind it, but you, my friend, deserve residual checks from them. I'm pretty sure you have single-handedly been responsible for reviving interest all, uh, in, all in an all-but-forgotten movie franchise. LOL. I won't be surprised if Best of the Best revival slash reboot is in the works right now because of you. Stay filthy, my friend. Yeah, I'm the only guy I know online. I am the only person I know online who will constantly pimp out that old Eric Roberts movie, Best of the Best. But I will be pimping out that movie till the day I die. It is a magnificent movie. I love it. It's dumb, but it's fun. It's got one of the greatest grr moments endings with Dehan and Tommy. It is a great thing, but yeah, if the uh, if the producers, the best of the best, ever want to toss me a best of the best care package, I'd be more than happy to receive it. But yep, I will be pumping that movie up till the day I die, my friend. All right, next up, uh, paths on written rights. In the episode five trailer, uh, talking about Falcon Winter Soldier, I assume uh, they're probably just talking about where to get dinner. Sam, we don't want anyone else to get hurt. Come on, John, we're going to McDonald's. John, you don't want to do this, Bucky. Yeah, we do. Uh, By the way, that I was a little bit disappointed in the episode five preview trailer because the vast majority of that preview was just footage from other episodes we've already seen. So I was personally a little bit disappointed by that. But then it gets to that end part where they're in the, the abandoned warehouse. It's Sam, Bucky, and John Walker all facing off and, you know, Walker going, you don't want to do this. And Bucky, with his eyes down, then looks up. Yeah, we really do. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I'm like, God, when is this episode airing? I just loved it. It was so great. I I just, I just, can't wait for tonight, guys. I cannot wait for tonight. At least for me, it's tonight. All right, next up. Um, Hylea writes, John, wouldn't it be cool to have Disney Plus return Chris Evans as Captain America? Oh, it totally would be. Uh, a series... Of him going back in time, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm no, I have no interest in this. A lot of people have brought this up before, but anyway, a series of him going back in time and having his journey, placing the Infinity Stones back in their place and having him do some side missions along the way, I have zero interest in that, to be honest with you. Well, you know, wait a minute, let me, let's not be facetious. It's not that I'd have zero interest. Obviously, Chris Evans as the true Captain America Steve Rogers, of course, I'd have some interest, but out of all the possibilities of what you could do with Chris Evans back as captain America doing a prequel series of, we know how everything turns out. Let's go tell that story of how we already know everything turns out. I I really don't have a lot of interest in that, to be honest with you, Like, I get it. He took all the stones back. We knew, we know that every single one of those missions ends in success. We know that he ends up with Peggy. We know that at some point Peggy dies and he's there at the funeral, even though we don't see him. And then we know he comes back to that very spot where he knew Sam and Bucky would be waiting for him. Like we already know all the major points. So I, again, is it the worst idea in the world? No. Would I avoid watching that show? It's Chris Evans as Captain America. Of course I would watch it, but you could literally come up. Every other idea I think would be a better idea. So me personally, and I know some other people may feel differently, and that's cool. That's why we all like different things. But I would much rather them do anything else with Chris Evans' as Captain America. Anything else. Uh, I I just don't have a lot of juice for something that we already know. And by the way, it's like you could say to me, well, John, what about Titanic? Because you know Titanic sinks. Yeah, but that's like the only thing about that movie I would know. You do. You can do Captain going back in time and going through everything that we already know how it all turns out. We know that that stone gets returned, then he's got to return this stone, and we know he does that. Then he's got to return the next stone, and we know he accomplishes that, then blah, blah, blah. But will he get together with Peggy in the past? Well, we already know that he does and that he lives his life with her. Like, there's just, we already know it all. I, I really don't need to see a series about that. I just rather, if you can get Chris back as Captain America, And you can convince Kevin Feige to make a new Captain America thing. Do anything else. Anything else. But that's just me. I know other people would disagree with that. And that's all fine. Anyway, so you're not alone in that, Hilea. You're not alone in that. There are a lot of people who feel the same way you do and would like to see that series. So you are definitely not alone. I am just unfortunately not one of those people. That's all right. All right, next up. Uh, Tony Rodriguez writes, just a thought. Maybe, uh, maybe we are looking at Feige not recasting T'Challa. Chadwick was a smart guy uh, that filmed two movies after Black Panther. Very sick. Why wouldn't we think he got with Feige and filmed a final death scene for the future? No, 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 no. Uh, plans, movies. And out comes ahead of time. You said it yourself, Feige had to know he was uh, how sick he was. Uh it's just a theory, and hence him saying he isn't recasting because the plan is already in the works of his death in the next movie or TV show. I no, no. Um there there are so many things that work against it. Now, look, let me be clear here. If we got into a the next Black Panther or the Wakandan TV series, or whatever's going to come first, and they had a scene with Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa dying, I mean, how powerful would that be? How powerful and meaningful would that be? The answer? Pretty damn powerful and meaningful. Pretty damn powerful and meaningful. It, it, It would. It would also be in the poorest of taste. It would be in the poorest of taste, um, and yeah, Chadwick knew he could still work when he was making those other that that uh, you know uh, Ma Rainey and stuff like that. He knew he could still work. The idea of oh God, that's morbid. I'm not going to lie to you, brother. That's morbid. Uh, You're dying. Let's let's quick. Let's get you in here. Do you know what kind of backlash Disney would get on that? Really? You wanted to profit off this guy dying so you brought him in to shoot a to shoot a scene of his character dying? They would take a lot of heat. And, and it didn't it wouldn't even matter if Chadwick Boseman filmed like a vlog to be released on this saying, "I am the one who asked Kevin Feige to do this and I really want to do this." It wouldn't matter. Disney would take so much heat for that. It would it would be a very very bad look. It would be an it would just be in the, the poorest of taste and it would be a very very bad look. It would become like the symbol of corporate greed. It would become the definitive symbol of corporate greed that they would do that. So, not to mention, I don't think he would be in the condition to do that. Nor do I think it would be. I, I just think. I just think no. Now, look, is it impossible? No. If you're Kevin Feige, and let's let's make up a, a fictitious scenario. If you're Kevin Feige and a dying Chadwick Boseman comes to you and says, Kevin, my last wish is for you to let me shoot a scene as T'Challa dying as T'Challa. That's my last wish as a dying man, that you let me do that. Well, then what the hell is Kevin Feige supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, and what is what is Bob Iger going to say to that? I, I mean, I, I mean... That, that's tough, even if it is in the poorest taste and even if it does mean Disney will then be cast as the ultimate representation of corporate greed ever in history and blah, blah. I mean, that would be a tough scenario, but I I, I just don't see that being the case. Uh, I just don't see that being the case. So anyway, that, that's, that's just that to me. Uh, anyway, uh, let's move on here. Next up, uh, where are we at? Uh, Aaron Schrader writes, in defense of She-Hulk and other derivative characters, Batman, uh, Batman, everyone's favorite superhero, is a blatant ripoff of Zorro. Nah, he's not really a blatant ripoff of Zorro. I mean, if he was running around uh, with a sword and leaving a big B on people, maybe. Is there influence? Probably influence. But listen, there is a difference. When I say a derivative character, like, because you can make an argument, oh, you know, when if you look at Thanos and Darkseid, or if you look at... Um, Aquaman and you look at Prince Namor or if you look at what when I say derivative character I mean a directly connected to character you got Superman well here's Supergirl you got Hulk well here's she Hulk you got Flash well here's kid Flash you know I I'm not a big fan of direct derivative characters now that that's not a hard and fast rule Like, I, with all the news that has come out about She-Hulk, I'm starting to get on board with it a little bit. But just generally speaking, I don't have a lot of interest in derivative character properties. Um, So that being said... Uh, I, that's a totally different conversation from different comic book characters who were influenced by other comic book characters. That's a different thing. Because there's no denying, when you look at what Batman is, it's a very, very different character from Zorro, even if there were some, like, originally some heavy inspiration. But that's different from having Batman versus, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Or Batgirl. There he is. This is. a good example of that. Batgirl. Not a big fan of derivative characters. Kid Flash. Eh, I don't know, but again, again, I'm not saying other people should feel that way. I'm just saying my initial interest when I hear about something with a derivative character is generally a little bit lower than a truly different character, but I, that's just me. That's just me. All right. Next up. Um, we've got Caleb who writes, speaking of actors in three or more comic book franchises, Mark Strong was in four Shazam, Green Lantern, Kingsman and Kick-Ass. P.S. He is my favorite part of Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. He's so good in that. Uh, at the moment, uh, the moment at the very end, trying not to spoil, so damn powerful. No, he's great. And by the way, uh, him as Moriarty, or sorry, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't Moriarty, but him as the villain, sorry, in the first, because obviously Moriarty came next. Him as the villain in that Sherlock Holmes movie. I thought it was great. I thought it was great in that. I love Mark Strong. I think he's fantastic. I mean, you can put him in stuff like that. Then you can put him in 1917, even though it's a small part. It makes a big impact. This dude is an awesome performer. I love watching this guy on screen. All right, next up. We've got uh, Not Sam Wilson who writes. One of five. Okay, let's buckle in here. Hey, John. You probably won't get this until after episode five. Well, actually, here we are before episode five, and we're getting to it now. Uh, You probably won't get to this until after episode five. But I have three thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode four. Please answer as you see fit. Number one, it doesn't matter how great a soldier you are and what you have accomplished. When you start uh, operating on Avengers level, you're in a different depth. Mm, True. Lamar and John were thrown into a situation where they that they never really had a chance and Lamar's death really really highlights that even the non-powered Avengers like Sam, Clint, and Tasha are still special. Uh number 2, whatever they do with a Wakandan series will be great, hopefully. But I.O. leading a team of Dora Milaje around the world uh re repossessing vibranium and super criminals in a good old-fashioned villain of the week style series where they investigate uh, locate and beat down different bad guys would be awesome. I am all about that idea, Sam. I am all about that idea. That is a terrific idea. I'm totally on board with that. Number three, I cannot get over how good the dialogue has been in these MCU shows. And episode four was the cream of the crop. The action, uh, was movie quality, but the dialogue between characters was so good. I almost hated, um, when they had to end for the next set piece, they have really painted the picture of a group of people with real, uh, disparate convictions. I could watch Sam moderate a two hour debate between Zemo and Carly and be happy. Uh, it has been so good. Okay. So let's just go quickly to, yeah, suddenly being thrust into Avengers level stuff or something they were clearly unprepared for. That's a big thing. And I think if anything else, that one moment in episode four, when he's like, there weren't even super soldiers. It was a real moment of realization for them. So I think that's too. As far as the Dora Milaje show, like Mission of the Week kind of thing, going around the world repossessing Vibranium and taking down different people, all about that. I love that idea. That's terrific. As far as the dialogue goes, you're absolutely right. The dialogue's been great. Both in WandaVision and in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, it, the best parts... This, this is something that the best parts of these MCU shows has not been anything visual, although the visuals and the actions have been great. But it's always been about lines of dialogue in the right moments. Let's go back to WandaVision. What is grief if not love persevering? That's one of the greatest, not just in comic book movies, that is one of the greatest lines in in, in television history. What is love if not grief? What is grief if not love persevering? That, I think about that line still. I still go back and think about that line. That line is so freaking deep. Or as we come into Falcon and Winter Soldier, you got to understand all the layers underneath this line when Bucky says to Sam, well, maybe he was wrong about you, and if he was wrong about you, that means he was wrong about me. you got to understand the depth and the meaning of that line. Bucky Barnes is a guy who doesn't really have a sense of self-worth right now. He doesn't think himself worthy. He is plagued by guilt. And the only thing that keeps him going is that Steve Rogers believed in me. And that's the only thing I think that gets him out of bed in the morning. Steve fought for me because Steve believed in me. So I have worth. But he doubts it. And then in that line with his voice brilliantly played by Sebastian Stan... As his voice is trembling, he says, and if Cap was wrong about you, that means he was wrong about me. And the repercussions of what that means to Bucky Barnes to say Cap was wrong about me, that's the only thing that keeps him going, is that Cap believed in me. What if he was wrong? God, I mean, that's the thing. It says something special when you come into this type of comic book material, but the best parts is the dramatic use of the right dialogue. That's special, man. That is special. And I have loved these moments. So anyway, well-written, not Sam Wilson. Well-written, my friend. All right, next up. uh, Mad Modigan's Cardigan writes... Hey, John and Co. So there are two actors that come to mind when I think of sleazy, corrupt, and deliciously unlikable characters. Bob Gutton. Don't hear a lot of people mention Bob Gutton. Of course, when I, whenever I think of Bob Gutton, I think of one of my all-time top five favorite movies of all time. One of the greatest movies ever made, Shawshank Redemption. Let's say uh, Sugar Britches. I mean, he's as the warden. As the warden in... Uh, in Shawshank Redemption. That's old. I mean, he appeared in a lot of he was even in some Star Trek stuff. Anyway, I will always think of him as the word in that. Super, super performer. Uh, and Anthony held. Healed? Who is that? Is that the dude who was in um Silence of the Was that the dude in Silence of the I no, I gotta look it up. Sorry, give me a second here. Um do, 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 do. what's his name? Anthony uh, Hughes, uh IMDb Um oh Romeo X1000 is saying yes, he was in Silence of the Lambs. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was in Okay, oh, he was he was the guy who was interrogating Mystique in X-Men the Last Stand. He was in Deep Rising. Uh, of course, he was also in Red Dragon. But that's yeah. Oh, I didn't. I I forgot about a lot of that. Anyway, yes. Um, he was in. He was in. So he was Doctor Frederick Chilton. Okay, yeah. He was in. There we go. I don't. I don't know his work nearly as much as I do Bob Gunton. But but yeah. So there's that. Anyway, thanks for throwing that in, Mad Mardigan. When I think of that too, there are two names that come to mind for me. One is a name that came up yesterday, which is Rufus Sewell. Who is the bad guy in um first night? Not first night, uh Night's Tale. First night is uh Sean Connery and Richard Gere. Uh no, in Night's Tale. I remember him from Night's Tale. And then ever whenever I'd see him after that, he always plays like the creepy bad guy role, and he's so good at it. Rufus Sewell is so, so good at it. Um, okay, anyway. Uh, next up, where are we at here? That was Mad Mardigan. Ryan G writes one of two. Hey John, first time tipper from Mississauga, Ontario. I dated a girl in Mississauga, Ontario. Had to drive through there all the time. Anyway, I just—I used to live right beside Mississauga in Oakville, Ontario, for a little bit. As a matter of fact, I just got my first vaccine. Good on you. I'm getting my second vaccine in August. I don't think I should go back to the movie theater until I don't uh, until I don't after wear my mask anymore. Ah, uh, you should still wear your mask. It's just a courtesy to people around you. Anyway, and really eager to go back to the movie theater going experience. Yeah, I've had my first shot. Um, they say, depends on the one you get. Like I I took the Pfizer vaccine and they say after the Pfizer, the first shot, you're like 50% um, effective against the virus anyway, which I'm already, you know, I do social distancing. I wear my mask. I try, I take precautions. I sanitize the whole bit. Um, Yeah, as a matter of fact, so Ann and I get our second vaccination shots uh this week. We get our second shots this week. So Ann and I this morning and surprised me with this. Ann booked our tickets. Of course Disneyland is reopening. Ann and I love Disneyland and they're reopening and uh, in just a little bit here. Ann booked us our reservations and and tickets for the day. I think May 8th. We're going to Disneyland. I haven't been to Disneyland in a long time. I love Disneyland. So, yay, going back there. Both of us are going to be fully vaxxed. It's great. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm excited for you, Ryan, that you get get to go back in there and be as well. But still, even if you're vaccinated, take precautions. Be aware and be courteous of other people around you. It's not just about you and it's not just about me. It's also about being aware of the people around us, being considerate for the people around us. You know, stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, but take care of the people around you, right? So still do the smart things, still do the right things, but it is exciting, you know, that you get to indulge a little bit more and going back out to that stuff, like me going to Disneyland, you getting back to the movies. It's all good stuff, my friend. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. Jake G writes, Hey, John, I know you don't do reaction videos, but my cousin and I are wanting to start doing reactions to various anime shows, and we both have a quirky sense of humor and feel we can incorporate that into our videos. Is humor something we should lean on? Well, I, you know, yesterday, okay, so here's the thing. For those of you who might have missed it, yesterday we did a live stream on How to YouTube, which is a terrible title, but I couldn't think of a better one. Uh, How to YouTube, where we talked for like over three hours about Doing YouTube, starting your YouTube channel, how to how to, uh, you know evolve your YouTube channel. What are some good best practices and principles and equipment and gear and all that kind of stuff? And Jake G., you sent in this question yesterday, uh, but I will answer it again. Listen, if you guys are legitimately funny, and that's important, don't try to be funny if you're not funny. And listen, be honest with yourself and ask other people to be honest with you. If you're not funny... Don't try to be funny. But if you are, lean into it. Yeah, if your humor is part of your personal strengths and you guys are good at it, lean into that aspect, absolutely. All right, next up, uh, Terrence F. writes, uh, you've spoken before about the importance of building community. Obviously, this all came in right around when we were doing that video. About the importance of building community, what are some tips on building, cultivating, and maintaining a community? Thanks. Well, it's all about engagement. It's all about engagement. If you're doing a YouTube channel, engage with your audience. You know, Um, I still to this day, look, we get uh, we get literally thousands of comments a day on the videos that we put up, because not only do we have the new comments today, we have thousands of videos that are on the YouTube channel and new comments get put all the time. So we literally get thousands of new comments a day. I obviously cannot go through and respond to all the comments, but I will still engage here and there and drop some comments here and there and reply to some people. Uh, but, you know, I also make sure that we have ways of engaging with the audience. People can send in emails. I respond not to all the emails that get sent to me, but I do respond to some of them. Uh, obviously, we have a platform for taking live questions from the audience as well. There are, a lo- There's no one right way to start to create and cultivate community. There are many different ways to do it, and you got to find the right ways that work for your particular channel and the particular subject matter of your channel. For instance, the way you build a community around A movie fandom like I do, it would maybe very, very different from the way you build community around, you know, a a cycling YouTube channel, right? There might be different ways of doing that, but you just got to find the right way that works for you, Terrence. All right, next up. Uh, Echo base rights. We are almost two years old and almost twenty thousand subs. That's excellent. Twenty thousand subs. And t- first of all, twenty thousand subs. Period is great, uh, especially if you're just two years in. Have used a lot of what you do on your channel uh, uh, on ours, and it's been successful. That's fantastic. Thanks for all that you do. FYI, we are blocked on your channel and not sure why. I'm, I'm not sure why either. I'll, I mean, I can throw it. Best thing to do is don't write that in on the the live comments thing, write that, send in an email. Uh, we'll get it to our moderators and we'll see what's up with that. But anyway, that's great. 20,000 subs is fantastic. Well done. All right. James Lockman writes one of two to answer your questions regarding, uh, PS now. Oh yeah. Somebody wrote to me about that, about PlayStation now yesterday. Uh, yes, you can play PlayStation games on your PC without having a PlayStation console. Interesting, but you do need to have a PS account, which you already have since you own a PS4. To answer your second question, yes, you can. You still have to get a PS5 because brand new games do not show up on PS Now until much later. Just think of PS Now like Netflix. Brand new movies come out in theaters. Uh, or new DVD releases don't show up on Netflix so much later. Okay, that's good information to know because I recently got, uh, uh, what's it called? The Xbox Game Pass. I don't own an Xbox. And when I realized and found out that you could actually just get Game Pass and play the vast majority of the games and tons of games just on your PC, I'm like, sign me up. And I signed up and I've been having kind of fun. I've been having fun on it. Um I really have been trying to get a PS five and then somebody wrote into me about this PS now thing. I I didn't even know about it before, but yeah, that sounds like something fundamentally different. I would like to get, I'd prefer it to be something like Xbox where even the brand new releases, you can just jump right on it. But thank you for that information, James, that's very valuable information. And I'm going to, I'm going to look into that. Nonetheless, I look forward to that. All right, next up, uh, Darwin Nguyen writes, uh, one of three hey there been watching you since you were still in the closet thank you so much of course we used to we used to do the AMC uh movie talk from a converted storage closet uh at the AMC Burbank 16 theater it's absolutely true we we took what was a giant storage room a giant storage closet and we converted it into our studio so that was our first studio at AMC anyway hey there been watching since you were still in the closet just wanted to say your channel. And this community has helped me through a lot of dark times. Oh, that's good to hear, man. And personal family issues. I'm currently a fourth-year pharmacy student. Good on you. Uh, and your show provides a moment of relief from working in retail pharmacy and administering COVID vaccines all day. Dude, you're a hero. Uh, I'm set to graduate with my doctorate of pharmacy in May and wouldn't have kept what is left of my sanity if it were not for this community. Um Thanks for everything you have done and continue to do. Loved your documentary, by the way. Aw, oh, Darren, that is awesome to hear. Thank you so much. And congrats, dude. Getting any kind of doctorate is way beyond me. I mean, it's, you're way beyond me. You are several boss levels higher than I am. So, like, cheers to you, my friend. That is great. And it's always great to hear people giving testimony about, you know, how a fan community can help them get through stuff like that too and help maintain sanity. I know it does for me. Clearly it does for you as well. So again, congrats, congrats on your graduation, dude. Thank you for being you know a frontline worker administering COVID vaccines. That is awesome. So thank you for sharing that experience, Darwin. I really appreciate that, dude. All right, uh, Cade writes. I was wondering if you happen to know any good lapel microphones. Uh, I've seen several online in the $30 range. I'd much prefer to get a uh, a great mic for a bit more money, $60 to $100, than an average one for little. Well, here's what I would say, Cade. I would suggest this. Let me see if I can bring this up here. Um There is it's a little bit more expensive. It's a little bit more expensive. But I think you'd be very, very happy with it. So there are these mics called the Rode, uh, the Rode Go, I believe they're called. Let me bring it up. Yeah, these wireless mics called the Rode Microphone Wireless Go Compact Microphone System, blah, blah, blah. So let me see if I can bring it up here. So what these mics do, and they're, by the way, these aren't the only ones. They, there are some competitors that do the same thing. Uh, so you might want to look those up too. But basically, you know... The one box connects to your camera, and you can plug it right into your computer or to your camera, or whatever. But the other one is completely wireless. And you see that that box right there? Let me—is my mouse on screen? Yeah. You see this box right here? You don't even have to plug a microphone into it. It is a microphone. You can just clip it on your shirt, and it's a microphone already. But it also has a microphone jack, so you can just plug in any kind of uh, lapel mic directly into this thing now again this is a little bit more expensive this is you want to go up to 100 bucks this is 199 but i'll tell you what it is well worth the money it is well worth the money i have used now i haven't used the road go i'm no i have used them but i don't own them i own a competitor to these and they're great but you know these are great i have used them before they give you a lot of flexibility. The sound is great. I mean, again, it is a little bit higher than the price uh, than the price you're looking at, but you will not regret the purchase. You will not regret the purchase, so I kind of recommend that. Anyway, hope that's helpful for you, uh, Cade. All right, uh, next up. Jose, uh, uh, Jose Salazar writes, Good day, John. Good day. Uh, it is so awesome uh, to be able to sorry, it is so awesome to be getting all this MCU content, but come 2022, not only are we getting MCU, but even more Star Wars as well. Tell me how we can handle this. I have a feeling Disney plus will overtake Netflix, uh, in the end. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think in the end, Netflix will get overtaken, uh, by Disney plus, but Disney Plus is going to have to figure out how to do more than just MCU and Star Wars. Netflix is cranking out so much original content. Now, most of their movies completely suck ass, but most of their series are great. Not all of them, not all of them, but most of their series are great. Um, HBO Max puts out great content. I still think HBO is the gold standard. I think they are the gold standard. Disney is going to make up a lot of ground on Netflix with MCU and Star Wars, but they are also going to have to evolve and start creating good original content. Because one of the criticisms of that big Disney shareholders call where they made all the announcements of all the Star Wars shows coming and all the Marvel shows coming, one of the drawback was... Everything's on already existing IP. Mighty Ducks, more MCU, more Star Wars. Like, like everything was not original IP. Now, granted, FX, which is owned by Disney, they're gonna be doing um uh what what sorry I froze on that for a second. Oh so they're gonna be doing um a number of things, including like a A uh, alien series, right? They're going to be doing an an aliens thing. They're going to be doing Shogun, which is the thing that I'm most excited about, but they're going to have to start developing more than just MCU and star Wars, right? They're going to have to become more like HBO and more like Netflix. in that way they're creating original content. So, uh, but yeah, I do think in the end, they're probably going to pass them. Now, like somebody, Marcus just brought up in the live chat, a good point, there's also Pixar, but Pixar's putting out one or two pieces of content a year. That's not going to cut it. They're going to need more than just that. That's a good good thing, but they're going to need more than that. So it's going to be interesting to see how Disney Plus evolves. All right, next up. We got Omar uh, Darwish who writes, "Uh, Hey, John, big fan for over a decade. Thank you so much, Omar. Uh, I started a weekly movie news show to fill the void left... uh, in my left in my heart by movie talk, almost at a hundred subscribers. That's great, man. Any marketing tips for research, uh, for reaching more people? I know consistency and good content are key. Just curious. Any advice I listen? I will tell you, honestly, I've never done one bit of marketing in my life. I've never done any marketing. I've never bought anything. And by the way, a hundred subs is not the time to be asking and thinking about marketing. All right. If you're still at 100 subs, which, hey, that's a milestone. 100 subs is a milestone, and I'm not trying to downplay that. That's great. But what that tells me is your content is not yet at the point that you should be marketing it. Focus more on your content, right? One of the things I said in my stream last night, and it's worth repeating here, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. If your content is not where it should be at yet, why would you want to get people to come and check it out? Because if they come and check it out and your content doesn't cut it, they're never going to come back. So I would say, don't even worry about marketing anything till you're at least 10 times bigger. Get to a 1,000 subs. You know, once you're at a 1,000 subs, once your content is good enough that you've been able to organically attract like a 1,000 subs, then maybe start thinking about that. Me, personally, I never have. I've never done one thing of marketing in my life. So I just let, my channel, my channels grow naturally. I did that with the movie blog. Uh, we did that with AMC. We never advertised at AMC. We did that with Collider. We do that. I do that with the John Campius show, but yeah, I would say you're getting way ahead of yourself. You're getting way, way ahead of yourself. So don't even think about marketing now. Keep all of your attention and your focus on the question. Why would people watch my videos? Keep all of your attention on that question, not how do I market my videos. Worry about making your content better for at least at least until you get to 1,000 subscribers, minimum. So that's my advice to you, my brother. Good luck with that, Omar. And again, don't discount how hitting 100 subs is a milestone, dude. All right, Ryan Loner writes, um, some people on the show were talking about movie romances recently. Yeah, I remember that. And I'll throw one in that's very underrated. Uh, the romance is Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis in The Fly. The movie could have easily just been a gross-out special effects showcase, which would have been plenty awesome on its own. But their relationship is the reason you truly get invested in the movie all the way to that devastating, tragic end when a little fly hand puts the gun on his own head. Um, you're right. See, that's the thing. That fly example, I'm. I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. The fly example is a great example about how narrative trumps action, right? Like, yeah, just the fly, him turning into the brundle fly and doing all this crazy wacky stuff, that's cool. But if it's not anchored in the narrative, if it's not anchored in the characters, if it's not anchored in that relationship, then it's just, you know, ooh, cool fly dude running around doing things. But because it's anchored in narrative it makes it way more impactful and way more meaningful. So I think that's an excellent example to bring up, Ryan. Well done. All right, next up. Anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, Disney also owns Marvel Comics. Yes, they do. Uh, Why do they keep introducing new characters, example, Miles Morales, that could potentially be multi-billion dollar gifts to Sony? Uh, Do you think comic book sales outweighs everything else? Or is that part of the, no, no, comic comic book sales are nothing. Comic book sales are nothing compared to revenue generated by movies. Like, absolutely zilch, zero, nothing compared. So, no. But what what, what are your options? Well, we're not going to do fresh, original things with our comic book titles because we don't have the movie rights to those titles. That's hamstringing your comic books. And by the way, you make these characters, and yeah, maybe some of these characters might the movie rights to those characters might then belong to somebody else for a period of time. But in the long run, at some point you're going to get them back. So why not invest in those now? Look, the answer is you don't like, Oh no. Oh, if we make something, well, let's just not do anything fresh original with that title. Then that's not how you run a business. That's not how you run a business. And listen, 99 times out of a hundred new characters you introduce would never have real movie possibilities anyway. So, yeah, I I think you still proceed with business. You run your comic book business as a comic book business. If that means introducing new characters whose native rights may go to somebody else as far as movie making goes temporarily, well, that's the part of doing business. You know, that's just part of it. I wouldn't worry about it, though. They just need to run their business as their business. That's my take on it at any rate. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that's my take on it, Anonymous. All right, next up. Kung Fu Hot Dog writes, Uh, Hi, John. Uh, Thank you for your advice on how to YouTube. Great live stream. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Also, have to echo fellow subscriber Samuel1225, who said you must be hitting the gym uh, due to the size of your guns. Uh, Think Sly and Arnie need to run for cover. Uh, Well, thank you, dude. I I appreciate that. I've been working really hard to get myself back into proper shape. You know, when I was started to tip the scales at 240, I'm like, nah, no, 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 no. This won't do. So I've lost about 25 pounds in the last six months, whatever. Uh, you know, I work out every morning, all that kind of stuff. But thank you for that, dude. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, Johnny writes, I'm invincible. Duh! By the way, new episode of Invincible coming up. Anyway, a simple man. Just show me Zemo dancing. Not sure if you saw this, but Marvel uploaded to their YouTube channel a one-hour clip of him dancing in a loop. Have fun. Yes, it wasn't an hour clip. It's an hour loop. <laughs> okay? It's actually like a 30-second clip. But it's but it's on a loop. It's not an hour long clip. (laughs) So be clear of that. And yes, I did watch that for about 15 solid minutes and laugh myself silly, silly the entire time. All right. Next up. Uh, Johnny writes uh, John Walker. I'm Captain America. I am not impressed. I know. Right. Listen, when the Dora Milaje starts showing up, business is about to pick up. Business is about to pick up when the Dora Melage show up, Johnny. You best believe that. Anyway, Dan writes, uh, one of two. Hey, John, watching that stream last night made me nostalgic for your first getting started stream all those years ago. Yeah, six or seven years ago I made that one. I remember being 15 years old watching that. Feeling inspired to use your advice uh, to start not uh, not a movies page, but a baseball page. Very cool. Proud to say I've grown to over 35,000 subscribers on YouTube and over 100,000 total across social media for my passion about the New York Yankees. Reason I'm telling you this is that I wouldn't be in this position uh, without that getting started video. Thanks, John. Dude, That that is so cool to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's That inspires me. That really does that. Now, for those of you don't know, a bunch of years ago, I put up like a two hour video on how to get started in blogging, podcasting, and YouTubing. And like, then last night we did a three hour stream kind of updating a lot of that. But to hear a story from somebody like you, Dan, that you took a lot of that to heart and you've got your own channel now about something you're passionate about New York Yankees, Yankees, but you're passionate about them and that you got like 35,000 subscribers that is inspiring for me to hear, Dan. Seriously, very, very much. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm glad you got some use out of that uh, video I did. So thanks for sharing that, dude. You just you just made me feel like I have worth. You made me feel really good, man. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. All right, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, can you please wish birth, a uh, happy birthday to my friend Nick Gurr? Nick Gurr? Happy birthday from an anonymous friend. I'm not sure who it was, but happy birthday to you, Nick Gurr. May you have a fabulous day and a fabulous year ahead of you. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Anonymous. Make sure you include your name next time, though, so we can give you credit. All right. Wakandan Forever writes, I see the evidence. The only rebuttal in my defense, I can only say this. Uh, heroes in a half shell, Kawabunga. P.S. Uh, the monstrosities, they never would have made uh, any money. Now I know why they're, uh, they are black and white. They can't afford to be in color. Boom. So Wakandan Forever, for those of you who missed it, Wakandan Forever wrote in the other day about the fact that I, I don't like, I don't like the modern iteration of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're, bastardizations of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic like the skateboard riding pizza eating cowabunga dude things I've never been into it now granted I did kind of like that first one uh that Michael Bay produced surprisingly enough but that fir- that one was pretty good I I have to admit that it was pretty good the sequel they did with Stephen Amell not so good Uh, And that wasn't Stephen Amell's fault, but the, the, the first one to that I thought was quite good. But this is simply a poor man's bastardization of the true real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, of course, started as black and white comics, and they were deadly serious. And what happened was the other day I brought up an image from one of the original comics where you hear, like, we feel our blood coursing we yearn to start the slashing and the bloodletting and blah, blah. Like they were dead serious about killing ninjas. Like it was brutal and violent and dark and gritty and kind of ridiculous at the same time. But that's the real teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. And then somebody went, let's make it for King The kids would love turtles. Let's make them ride skateboards and say, cowabunga and eat pizza. All right. And I, I know what I'm saying is like completely offensive to many of you who grew up loving that version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I apologize for that. It's just, it's just as somebody who knew the original comic books and what they actually are, like what the real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are, I can't help but like be. Ah, I hated them. They turned into ch- to a children's property. But whatever, that's just me. That's just me. All right. Yay, let's eat pizza and write skateboards. Okay, anyway. Uh let's move on here. Uh next up, that was Wakandan forever. Next one we got, uh Dad jokes writes when comparing Wanda to Bucky, I think you forgot about the important variable of guilt. Oh, I'm I whenever we talk about Bucky, you gotta talk about guilt. Uh they both have lost so much and have a tragic background, but as episode one portrayed, Bucky is tormented with guilt, and he is also a man from a different time, so he's alone in the world. Oh, no, we, I listen, dude, we talk about that all the time. I absolutely agree. This is a dude who struggles with his own ideal of worth at all. I mean, he's completely plagued by guilt. He walks around with this list of people he needs to make amends with. I mean, that's all part of it. And yeah, you're right. You can't think about Bucky with also, without also really realizing how isolated he really is and the fact that he is crippled by guilt. Absolutely. Well, pointed out. All right. Well, kind of forever writes uh, Vince, I'm the wrestling. Uh, I'm in the wrestling business. That's great, Ted. I'm not in the wrestling business. I'm in the entertainment business. Big difference. The night Vince McMahon bought WCW, craziest moment in wrestling history. What is your most memorable wrestling moment? I don't really like talking about wrestling too much on the show, but honestly, my my favorite wrestling moment ever, and I'm sure a lot of people will say this, um, Undertaker and Mankind Hell in the Cell match when Undertaker, it's the most jaw-dropping what-the-fuck moment in the history of professional wrestling when Undertaker threw mankind off of the top of the steel cage and went crashing down to the floor. That, to me, is the most memorable moment in wrestling. All right, uh, next up, Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, thanks for the great YouTube on how to how to video last night. Thank you so much for watching that Ben over under 7.5%. Betty Ross is the power broker. I'll go a big goose egg zero on that. Uh, think about it. She could be on the run from her father. She would never be on the run from her father. Anyway, Jilted about Bruce, not coming back. And she's a military brat. so She has access to weapons possible, impossible just because she's the daughter of somebody does not mean she has access to anything. And by the way, what of Betty Ross's character, did they ever show that has ties to criminal underground or knows how to form a criminal organization or Yeah. Could she be mad about what happened with Bruce? Sure. But that doesn't suggest in any way that she could now listen, I'm all for the idea of a live Tyler coming back as Betty Ross. She's in MCU canon. I'm all for that. Do I think there is any possibility that she's actually the power broker? I got to give a big goose egg on that. Now you know Ben, I'm very, very resistant to giving goose eggs. I'll even say one percent or two percent. But Betty Ross's power broker, I got to take the big goose egg in that. It would make no to me. It would make no sense at all. Um, Let's see here. BB Kingpin. I like that name. Writes. I agree that Daniel Day Lewis is the greatest actor of all time. Uh, Who uh, closet to him? Do you mean closest? Anyway, uh who's closest to him, Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington? I don't think either. Uh they're both magnificent, but I wouldn't say either. Uh him or Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington, I go with Denzel uh who out who out who out to hmm. I go with Denzel also out to on the top of your head. What is each greatest performance of the two? Oh, I I, I mean I don't know. I I'd have to think about that. I Like, Tom Hanks and Denzel's, like, stuff. I mean, I don't even think Denzel is even his Oscar-winning one. I don't think that's even his best performance. Uh, Tom Hanks, I don't know. You might have to say Philadelphia, which is the first film that Tom Hanks won Best Actor for. Tom Hanks is one of the rarest of the rare things in the Oscars. Tom Hanks won Best Lead Actor at the Oscars back-to-back, two years in a row. He won it for Philadelphia... And then the very next year he won it for, uh, Forrest Gump. Um, so, but I, I think maybe his, it's not my favorite movie of his, but, uh, his performance in Philadelphia is like, whoa, so good. Denzel. I don't know. I'd have to think about the Denzel one a little bit. I'd have to think about that one a bit. There's just so many that are so good, but I'd have to think on that one. Anyway. Uh, thanks for that BB Kingpin. Next up, Ryan Loner writes. I'll make maybe one last weird guess about the power broker. Samuel Stearns as the leader. Hey, if the Abomination's coming back in She-Hulk. Well, I said that myself the other day. I said, look, the reason why it's not the most ridiculous thing to think the leader could maybe be the power broker is the fact that, look, they are bringing back Abomination from that same movie that Leader was in, right? They're bringing him back. Abomination's going to be in She-Hulk. So if they're bringing that character back, they could be bringing this one back. When you understand the character of the leader, could that be adapted in such a way to say that he's like in Madripoor and is the power broker? It isn't the craziest theory. Now, I I still say I wouldn't put money on that. But you know what? That's a name that maybe deserves to be on that. I don't think it's a good theory, but it's not the craziest theory list for... uh, for power broker. So maybe we'll see. We might even find out tonight. My friend, we might even find out tonight. All right. Caleb writes, did you see the trailer for riders of justice? Uh, no, I have not. It's in Danish, uh, starring Mads Mikkelsen about a soldier whose wife dies in a train crash. So he teams up with the others who lost family to hunt down a psycho biker gang who did it. It looks fun. And Mads always oh, good. Okay. You sold me. You sold me. I'm done. That's it. Hold on a second. What is it called? Riders of Justice, I'm not going to watch it right now. I'm not going to ro- watch it at this minute. Uh, there there it is up on the, there's the trailer. Look at Mads Mickelson there. Okay, first of all, biker gang who blows up a train, loved ones and family members out for vengeance. I'm sold. Yeah, I'm a simple man. I'm a simple man. Grieving family members out for justice. You put that tag on any movie I'm in. Especially as a Sons of Anarchy fan, if they're going after a bunch of bikers. Yes, I say yes to this. Yes to this many times. Sign me up. I haven't watched it, but I'm going to leave that trailer up on my page so I can watch it afterwards. But no, I never even heard of this movie. And now the trailer's out. It's in Danish. Okay, whatever. I will watch this a little bit later. Thanks for sharing that, Caleb. Uh, All right, next up. Um, uh, Vishan with Mindstone writes. Well, I agree with you that Dune shouldn't go to HBO Max. I think it has a terrible release date. Right now, it's opening a week after Venom Two, and a week before No Time to Die. Do you think Warner Brothers will delay it, or do you think they'll release it in October? I you listen. Their original release date was a December. I honestly feel like the best date for that is a December. Um, it'll do, it'll do fine where it is. It will do fine. I think ultimately they'll move it. I, here's what I think. Again, I have no insider information on this. This is just me speculating, pulling this out of my ass. I think Warner Brothers will not release Dune on HBO Max. I think they will release it theatrically exclusive, which will make legendary pictures very happy. And then I think, as a result of that, they will move the release date and put it into December. Now December's filling up too, but I just feel like that is a great release month for a movie like Dune. So again, I'm not saying that's what will happen. I'm just speculating. That's that's gonna be my guess right now, uh, Vishon, on, on how it's gonna go. I think it'll go, it'll bypass HBO Max until later. And then they'll move it back into December. So We'll see. I'm probably dead wrong about that. Again, I'm just speculating, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, Where are we at here? Um, Where are we? Uh, Colin George writes. I 100% believe we are going to see Isaiah Bradley show up before the end of Falcon Winter Soldier. I don't 100% believe that, but I'm I'm on that train. Uh, they made the point in the mid season trailer to show him, and it looks like the shot of Sam speaking on the stairs may be to Isaiah as well. Just my theory, though. I mean, it is. It, it listen. At very first, um, at at the very beginning, when Isaiah was in it, I thought that's the last we're probably going to see of him in this series. That's probably the last we're going to see in this series. But then I thought about it more, right? I thought about it more. Because when you started to recognize the themes that were emerging, right? The themes that were emerging in the show, you start realizing how those can all connect back to Isaiah, maybe, and so I went from uh the notion that no I don't think he's going to be back. I think he was just in there for that one shot to have that one big moment of impact. But I kind of changed my mind and I, I now kind of think he is going to come back. Now I'm not willing to say um I'm not willing to say the idea that it's 100% he's coming back, but I I'm kind of with you on that. I do think we're going to see him again. All right, next up. Uh and that he's not the power broker. <laughs> Sammy YP writes um where are we at? There he is. Sammy YPS. John. Uh and everyone else. Just wanted to share with you the power of movies. Waking up from a 12-hour surgery uh with the knowledge of just losing my right eye. Oh dude, that's brutal to hear, dude. Uh of losing my right eye, I was not ready to continue the fight uh, with cancer and ready to give up. Uh the nurse turned on the TV and the Hobbit, the desolation of Smaug was on. It was the scene in the Wood Elf dungeons. Uh But what stood out to me was the beauty of it all, the details that was put into the stage design, the lighting, and the costumes. I mean, oh, then, part three, three. It reminded me that I can still enjoy it, that I can still enjoy it, not just the movie, but life, as long as I fight for it. By the time Bilbo was trying to figure out how he was going to open the trap door to join the others, I was laughing so hard the nurse thought I had lost it. Dude, first of all, Uh, Good on you for getting through that surgery. That is not a fun-sounding thing at all. So you're an Iron Man, dude. You're an absolute Iron Man. But you're right. Movies have this kind of power. You know what's funny? I was talking a while ago about how uh, a number of years ago, uh, somebody in our circle of friends committed suicide. It was brutal. And after that, shortly after that, I had seen the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks. And, you know, Tom Hanks at the end of that movie, there's it's the ending of the movie is beautiful because somebody's asked him, like, how did you make it? And he said, Yeah, there were, there was, I was, I had thought and tried to kill myself a couple of times. But the line in the movie is because every once in a while, something from the plane that had crashed with him, something else would wash up on shore that would miraculously provide him with something that he kind of needed to survive. And he says at the end of the movie. I just decided to keep breathing because you never know what the shore, what the tide will bring in tomorrow. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And I remember always saying, God, I wish that our friend who had taken their own life had seen this movie before they did. That even if things look bad now, you never know what tomorrow can bring. Keep breathing. Sorry, it's getting a little bit emotional. Um, And I'd always wished that uh, this friend of ours had seen this movie. And when I shared that, um, sorry, give me a second. When I shared that, somebody wrote in um, shortly after that to say that um, it was funny that I brought up that example because their best friend had had was also in a place of contemplating taking their own life, and then they saw Castaway. And that the ending of Castaway made them rethink everything. And they got through what they were going through at the time, and now she has an incredibly happy, great life, you know? The power of what moved... because. That's the power. It's not just movies. It's the power of storytelling. This is why I always talk about why movies matter, right? Why movies matter. And by the way, I gave a keynote address on why movies matter once. If you just go on YouTube and search for let me see if I can uh, find it here. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Hold on a second. Uh, If you search why movies matter, uh, John Campia, just search for, yeah, why movies matter, John Campia. Um. Uh, there, there it is right up here. This is it right here. Uh, there was a keynote address I was giving at this uh, event, and we were talking about why movies matter. This is six years ago. But one of the reasons why I really totally believe why movies matter is because it's not just the art of movies, but it's the whole thing of storytelling. We as a species are storytellers. And many stories will connect with us in ways that maybe we never thought other people could connect with us. They tell stories about the way we see the world and about the way the world is, but it's also stories about the way we think the world can be, the way we hope the the way we hope the world will be, the way we fear the world will be. You know, all these types of things. And these stories can connect with us on such deep, deep levels that they can have profound impacts on us. I was joking yesterday about this stupid song from an animated movie, Moana, right? That I nearly cry when I listen to the song because it it makes me think about dreaming and about vision and about the future. There's that song that Moana sings, right? There's a line where the sky meets the sea and it calls me and no one knows where it goes. You know, it's just... That inspires me in, in such a way. That's what movies can do. That's what movies can do. Or you can come out of a 12-hour surgery and have some random movie, like, like a Middle Earth movie, and it just fill you with joy and delight and imagination and never, ever, ever underestimate the power of movies. The, the power of movies can be... They can just be dumb, stupid fun, but they can also be way more than that for a lot of people. And um, anyway... Thank you so much, uh, Sammy P., for sharing that story, man. That means a lot. All right. Uh, next. Oh, sorry. There's a part four. All right. Uh, so, John and everyone else, have you ever had this experience where you were ready to give up, but, uh, but a movie or other form of media rekindled the fire in you to stand up and continue on? Well, again, I just kind of gave several examples of that. So, uh, so, yeah, there you go. Anyway, thank you for that, Sammy. Appreciate that very much. All right. Um, massive Face Palm rights. part one of two. John. John, I assume you don't know much about Mortal Kombat lore. On your companion video, you said, for all we know, they could kill Scorpion and Sub-Zero in the movie, and all I could think was, um, obviously, that's the story of Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Trailers show their beginning faithful to Scorpion will die in the uh, Lin Lin Kuei clan, and then becomes the Hellspawn Demon Scorpion, who's on a bloodlust revenge and kills Sub-Zero. Then Sub-Zero, brother takes up the mantle, uh, who I think will be the new character Cole. Okay, so... Here's a reality check for you, Massive Palm. You do understand that the movie's not the video game, right? This is the same discussion we always have. John, you're, you're clear you you clearly don't know anything about the comics because in the comics, Squirrel Girl becomes yeah, uh, Margaret Atwood and she writes beautiful poetry for the rest of her. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter what happened in the comic. This is the movie, the filmmakers may do something that's similar to happens in the lore of the comic books or the video games, but they can do something completely different because these are two separate things. It's called adaptation. Just because something happens in a comic book or something happens in a video game does not mean that's what they're going to do when they translate it over to a movie. So, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, I I get it but it doesn't matter. The movies are the movies. They're different. They're separate. They can do what is done in the original source material, but most of the time they don't. You need to adapt, and we'll see. And so maybe they will do the same thing, but there is no way you should assume that they will. That's why Civil War is a completely different movie than the comic book story, Civil War. That's why Days of Future Past is a completely different story than the Days of Future Past in the comic books. I mean, yeah, they'll borrow some things, but it's also very, very different. So just keep that in mind. Never make assumptions. Never make those types of assumptions. All right, next up. Connor M writes, uh, what if Isaiah Bradley has a heart-to-heart with Sam and convinces him to take the shield? I think a moment like that would be really touching. Oh, I think it would be beautiful. I think that would be a beautiful scene, and again, I do think Isaiah is going to make an appearance again uh, in the show. I do think he'll be back, and you know, some people think Sam's going to be giving the shield to Isaiah. That's possible, but I actually like what you're saying, Connor, even more. That actually, Isaiah is the one who convinces him to take the shield. You don't have to be Steve Rogers, right? You can still carry on something that symbolizes what he believed in. You know, it's like, I can't be Steve. You don't need to be Steve. Steve was Steve. He's he's unique. He was the one and the only. But as an individual, as a hero, you can still try to carry on that legacy for him. And the, the shield, with all of the mixed history that it has, the shield is the physical representation of what it was Captain America stood for. And so you can take that up. And you can forge a new part of its legacy, whether it's as Falcon or as something else, whatever. But I think the way you described that Connor, I think that would make a lot of sense. And I think it would work. Um, uh, totally Dundee tips in like a $50 question. Thank you, man, for supporting the channel on that level, dude. Anyway, he writes, I missed the how to YouTube video last night. I had car problems. I watched it this morning and I loved it. Could you do another one? I have some questions also, uh, Two to uh, Dundee. Uh, tootlede- oh, sorry. Two to two to dial. Oh, instead of crocodile, two to dial. There you go. Two to dial. Two to dial. Like crocodile, Dundee. Um, share the video on Twitter. Hope that's okay. Well, much love, King Campia. Well, again, thank you so much for that. I appreciate that very, very much. And I'm glad you liked it. And yeah, listen, if more of you guys want us to do another one of those how to YouTube videos, we'll do another one. I mean if you guys find it useful, and if you find it helpful, uh, then I'm more than happy to do more of them. You guys just let me know. So thanks for that, uh, dial. I always say to dial. Thank you for sharing that, dial. And again, thank you for that support. And and maybe we will do another one. So thanks for the encouragement on that. All right. Philip Corvelli writes, I want to see Tom Cruise do more comedic characters like Les Grossman. Oh, my. I, see, I don't know. See, because the novelty of it might now be gone. The, the One of the things that made his Les Grossman character in Tropic Thunder so freaking funny was it was so out of character for what we expect from Tom Cruise, right? Now, the downside of that is that the novelty of him doing something like that could now be over and could be gone. But I am telling you, there were plans of doing a Les Grossman movie. I would love to see him doing... um. I would love to see him do a Les Grossman movie. I would love to see a Les Grossman movie based on that character. I would watch that all day, every day. I will watch a 21-episode series on Disney+, Plus, or HBO Max, or whoever, even Damn Peacock. I will watch that shit. I will watch it all day. Please make that. I. It's so good. You know, every once in a while, every once in a while, Maybe once every two months or so, I'll just be sitting in my office here working, la 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 la, and I'll just be get inspired to go over to YouTube and pull up Tom Cruise, step, uh, get back, um, from Ludacris, the end credit stuff from from uh, from uh, Tropic Thunder. Let me see, Tom Cruise, uh, get back Tropic Thunder. If you guys have not watched the Tom Cruise Get Back video, this is from the end credits of Tropic Thunder, you absolutely must go watch it. I just watched this, and I just feel inspired, and I want to get up, and I want to start dancing around. It just moves me. It's inspiring. It's cinematic greatness. God, I would love to see Cruise come. I don't think he ever will. But I would totally love uh, to uh, to see the, that that come back. I would totally I would totally watch the hell out of that. Anyway, uh, where are we at here? Uh, Jason writes. Oh, geez, we only got another minute or two. Jason writes. Hey, John, have you finished season five of The Expanse? Yes. Uh, what were your thoughts on the season uh, series slash so far? It's now my absolute favorite series of all time. Uh, well, it is not my favorite series of all time. Sorry, guys, my voice is going. I did three hours live stream last night. I did two hours live stream today, and we're just wrapping up two hours now. My voice is starting to go. Uh, and uh, Toto Dial Dundee sends in a Super Chat badge. Now that he's given me a chance to say the name. Um, I It's not my favorite series of all time, but I'm really loving it. I, I think it's great. And... I had, I'm not going to lie, I had to re-watch the last five minutes of the final episode two or three times to, to get a grasp of what it was that was going on during that last five minutes because a lot is being unpacked in the last five minutes of that final episode. Um, it was really jarring the way they suddenly, I think it was the Alex character, the way they got rid of the pilot character. That was a little bit jarring the way they did it, but I don't know how they could have done it any better. Uh, given you know all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. But yeah, really good show. Really, really good show. Not my top 10 or 20 favorite of all time, but I'm very, very much enjoying it a lot. And a lot of you guys should get on it if you haven't yet. All right. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me. Now I said we were gonna get through everything. We only had a few more to go. We only had a few more to go, but we are out of time and my voice is pretty much out of it now. But do not worry, like Edge Boy, James. Uh, Ben Falcone, his power broker, um, do not worry. We will start off the live questions part of the show tomorrow with your, I think we only had five or six remaining questions. Sorry. I got to have to call it though. It, it, we, we are two hours in now. Uh, we will get to, to your coin. We'll start off tomorrow's live questions, part of the show with your questions tomorrow, guys. So hang in there and we will get to those tomorrow. All right, guys. That will do it for me for this installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here. Remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of people around you. Don't forget, guys, a little bit later today, we're going to do at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, that's 7 p.m. New York Time. We're going to be doing the Falcon and Winter Soldier pregame show. Come on by and join us. And then, of course, tomorrow afternoon, we're going to do the Falcon and Winter Soldier open spoiler discussion about episode five. All right, guys, my name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.